Well, it's sort of a special occasion today in that it's uh, John's last Sunday with us, and um, we'll be praying for him at the end of this time to set him apart for this work that he's been called to. Uh, to leave for Bangladesh, I guess it's just Thursday he'll be leaving, so we've asked him to share with us today whatever the Lord's given him for us and whatever parting word he wants to leave with us, so brother, come up and share with us. Well, praise the Lord. Um... I do have something I, I'm not going to share for now. I brought it. This is a, a little email I, I received from James. Actually, it was I don't think it was typed out by Sheila, but it's a little short version of the Lord's work in her life. And so I kind of went through and edited it a little bit because her English isn't very good. Uh, but if you want to read it, I might put that on the bulletin board. Why don't we go ahead and turn to Psalm 23? I'm going to read verse 6. And then um, I'd like to ask uh, Russell No and Jared Turner if they would pray for us again here. Verse 6, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. the last half of verse 6 that I want us to look at. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And um, what I want uh, everyone to think about this morning and to get from this verse and the other verses that we'll talk about um, is something of the glory and the expectation and the blessing of being with God for eternity. Eternity with God. David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is the last verse in Psalm 23. Uh, Psalm 23, everybody knows it and loves it. In fact, uh, this psalm has always been one of my favorites. Uh, I memorized parts of the psalm before I was even a Christian. You read it, it's so uh, beautiful because... The psalm as a whole, as a unit, he's not, um, he, if you read through here, he doesn't give any commands or any exhortation. And he's not going in depth uh, teaching about abstract things about the Lord. Uh, what he's talking about is the blessings of being in a relationship with the Lord, where the Lord is his shepherd and he's like a sheep. And uh, he starts in verse 1, and he goes through all these different blessings. And by the time you get to verse 6, 
uh, you, he's talking about things in the future, and it's like the climax of the psalm, verse 6. The greatest blessing that David had, I mean that he counted among all his blessings, is what we read here. That he would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, David, <laughs> David, his heart was such, I mean it was totally in the right place. Uh, he was a man after God's own heart. And for him, the greatest thing about life, about existing, was being near the Lord. And that's true for every believer. Every believer can read this psalm and identify with everything that he says, especially verse 6, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Think about what this means. David says, the house of the Lord. What did David mean when he said that? Think about the house of the Lord in the Old Testament. Okay, that was the temple, right? You read all throughout the Old Testament about the house of the Lord. And such and such king, he would go up to the house of the Lord. Uh, people would pray in the house of the Lord. The priests would actually enter the temple, enter the house of the Lord. And uh, that was where God dwelt. And David said, that's where I want to be forever. Now think about this, though. During David's lifetime, uh, the temple wasn't even built. In David's life, there was a tent. It was the tabernacle. And that's what he had set up in Jerusalem. But if you remember, he asked God one night. Uh, he, he asked, well, actually, he talked to the prophet. And he said, I want to build a house for the Lord. This house. I want to build it. Uh, and the prophet said, well, do whatever's in your heart. Yeah, the Lord's with you. And then he comes back and says, actually, no, I have a word from the Lord. He's not going to let you build a house. And so this is interesting because... I don't know when David wrote this psalm, but he said, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In fact, he didn't just say, I want to. He prophesied, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. But he didn't get to build the house. And in fact, even when his son built the house, it was destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar burned it to the ground. So uh, was David wrong? No, he wasn't wrong. You know, David was a prophet. It's amazing. He says here, I will dwell in the house of the Lord, not just all the days of my life, but he says forever. It's interesting. If you look over in Psalm 16, just a few pages back here, he prophesies again about himself, but ultimately about Christ. But listen to what he says. Um... Verse 7, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I've set the Lord continually before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. And so David says here, you're not going to let me undergo decay. He says, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. I think, I don't know, but I think part of the reason why David wanted to build the temple uh, was because he, he, I mean, he, you know, he does say, that uh, if the temple is built, it's going to be for the glory of God, for this establishing of the kingdom, for the benefit of the people. But, you know, secretly, I think he just wanted to be able to be near the Lord. So he wanted to build this house. Lord, be here. 
And um, the Lord didn't grant that request to him, but the Lord did bring him into his house. I say that because the truth of this verse applies to every believer. The house of the Lord is talking about going to be with the Lord after death in heaven. You read in the New Testament, um, you see this. You see the house of the Lord, it was referred to as the temple in the Old Testament. But then in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, it says, well, that was, that was the shadow. It says, but there's a true tabernacle, which wasn't made with hands, that the Lord pitched. And he says, that's where Christ entered. They're in heaven, there's a true tabernacle. And that's where David went, to dwell with the Lord forever. Uh, he was right when he said this. And this was his greatest blessing. So, if you think about a New Testament parallel, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The first one that came to my mind, I mean, there's many. But think about what Jesus said uh, to his disciples. He said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. He told his disciples the night before he was crucified, I'm going to go away, but guys, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. He says, uh, if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That sounds like a house. And uh, David is there with the Lord even now. And all the saints that have gone before us are there even now. Many dwelling places. And I'll receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Come, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Do not fear, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. The day I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. I desire to depart and be with Christ. We prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. And so we shall always be with the Lord. We will live together with him. This is what David's talking about. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's his greatest blessing and it's ours. Um, if you want to talk about heaven, you know, we need to have our minds renewed. If if we can just get a hold of what the Bible talks about when it talks about heaven, this truth will set you free. You know, I don't so much want to give a bunch of exhortation today. I just want to remind you about what you know. This truth will set you free to have your mind renewed about heaven. What makes heaven so great? Well, there's two things. Uh, the first one, the primary reason why heaven is our greatest blessing above everything else is that there is the presence of God. We get to be in the presence of God. Um, think about what Jesus said. He said, you get to be with me. He said, I'll be there and you'll be there with me also. That's the blessing. Uh, what, what will it be like? What will the glory be uh, to be with one 
as powerful as the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about being in his presence and the power of the Lord. The one that he would speak to the winds and the waves and they obey him. Uh, the one that had the power uh, that it says, you know, I've never seen heaven, but the way John describes it in Revelation, he said that lightning and thunder was coming out from the throne. Think about that for a picture of heaven. And I think part of what you're, what you're seeing there is the power of God to be in his presence, to experience his power and to be uh, in the presence of Christ. His authority. He created the world with a word. He just spoke a word and it, and it was there. It's like he has all authority. When he speaks, something happens. And that's the one we'll get to be with forever. His power and his authority. He commands, he said, I could command legions of angels to come down right now. He heals the centurion servant without even going to visit him. He said, the centurion was wise. He said, Lord, uh, this man of faith, he said, Lord, all you need to do is just speak a word. I know about you. And Jesus said, you're right. His beauty. Uh, John also describes the throne, not just as uh, lightning and thunder. He describes that there is a rainbow around the throne. Not only is this power there, but in heaven to be with Christ is to be in the presence of surpassing beauty. The one who is fairer than the sons of men, fairer than 10,000. What will it be just to look on Jesus's face? I mean, you guys, you love a person you've never even seen before. What will it be when you actually see Jesus? I mean, it's like he was so glorious when the, when the disciples see him in his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. It said his face was shining like the sun. What is that? I mean, how do you look at the sun? Well, you usually put your hand up and you kind of look through the cracks of your fingers. You squint because it's so powerful, uh, so bright. You can't even look at it. And that's, I think, part of what it means uh, in, in the scriptures when it says you have to have your heart strengthened to be able to comprehend the love of God is that his beauty, uh, his worth is too much even to take in. I mean, in heaven, God is going to be strengthening us to take in more of his beauty, to experience more of his person. It's like we see such a small glimpse, but in heaven, it's not that way. Now we see in a mirror darkly. And we barely see it all. And even what we see now is glorious. But in heaven, we see face to face the beauty of Christ. Why else would Paul say, I, de I desire to depart and be with Christ? That's very much better. Better than every, every blessing that the Apostle Paul had experienced on the face of the earth. He says, no, the best is yet to come. His grace. Jesus fed the 5,000. He touched lepers. And he granted the request of uh, people like the Syrophoenician woman. She had no claim on him whatsoever. But he's gracious. To be in the presence of one full of grace. Righteous. He said, go Satan. Get behind me, Satan. I always do the things that are pleasing to the Father. To be with someone that's perfectly righteous. I mean, it just delights your soul to be around someone that's godly. You have no idea what it's like to be in the presence of Jesus. And this is, what we, uh, this is what we look forward to. His goodness and His love. He looked at the rich young ruler, self-righteous, greedy, and He felt a love for Him. He was on the cross and He cried out, Father, forgive them, 
They don't know what they're doing. His worth. Think about this. Sometimes um, we think that it can be hard, it can be taxing to worship God. But what's the picture you see in heaven? Again, if you look in Revelation, how how does the Apostle John describe it? They're worshiping around the throne day and night. Day and night. They never stop calling out, holy, holy, holy. I mean, even right now, that's going on in heaven. It's quiet here. I'm the only one speaking. But right now in heaven, the angels and the saints are singing to the Lord, holy, holy, holy. How can they do that? Because they're in the presence of Christ. And His worth is there. His goodness is there. It's not hard to worship Him at all. Uh, Sometimes we have a little bit of problem with that in this life because we walk by faith. And not by sight. And that's hard for people like us to do. But in heaven, it's not that way. You don't walk by faith anymore. You're ushered in to the presence of God. Think about the relationships that we enjoy. Um, Many times, what the unbelieving world considers the greatest blessing is the relationship that they have with other people here on earth. Uh, Parents and their children. Um a husband and his wife, you know, between each spouse and a friend to friend. I mean, it's like, that's what it's all about. It's all about my family. It's all about uh, my bride. It's all about my friends. All of that. The Bible says each of those relationships pictures what heaven will be like. Think about it. Yeah, in Revelation, it says that they will be called the sons of God in that day. There's a special sense... Right now we're the children of God, but there's a special sense in which we enter into the fullness of this relationship, the children of God. Uh, It says that we're the bride of Christ, the bride of the Lamb. All these things, the glory of these relationships that we enjoy here on earth, they're nothing compared to the relationship that we have. It's a dim shadow that we have with the Lord in heaven. And there's relationships that don't exist Uh, here between other people that exist only between the Christian and God himself. And and those are by far the strongest. Uh, The relationship of creator and creature, that's one of a kind. You don't see that. There's only one creator. What will it be to stand before your creator in heaven? Uh, What will it be, or think about the relationship of redeemer, You know, to stand before our Redeemer. These are the things that they praise the Lord for in heaven. Worthy are you, O Lord, because you created. It's your will. It exists because of you. You're the God from all eternity and you made everything. Worthy are you because, O Lamb of God, Lamb, because you were slain and with your blood you did purchase men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. These are the things. This relationship with the Lord to go and be with the Lord, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this is what I'm saying the primary blessing is that David was thinking about. The primary blessing of eternity with God is that you're in the presence of God. How near to the Lord will you be? If you're in His presence, how much of His presence do you get? How near can you get? Uh, Are we doorkeepers in the house of God? You know, if that was all it was, that would be good enough. I mean, the psalmist said that. 
I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. But that's not what it is. That would be enough. But no, where, where will we be in relationship to God? At the right hand of God. You believe me on that? At the right hand of God. You might say, now wait a minute. I know what the scripture said. They asked him, Jesus, we want to sit on your right and your left. And he said, well, that's only for some people. My father has, has set that aside and he'll, he'll choose that. Don't, don't miss what he's saying there. Don't, don't misunderstand him. We'll be at the right hand of God. Every believer. How can that be true? Well, think about this. Uh, the verse we read in Psalm 16. He said, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where is Christ? At the right hand of God. Where are you? In Christ. We'll actually be at the right hand of God. Jesus said, I mean, we don't think about this and we don't believe it. I know that because when we talk about it in the theology study, it's like, well, what do we even do with that? Jesus said, he who overcomes, I'll grant him to sit down with me on my throne. Just like my father granted me to sit down with him on his throne. That's a big throne. A lot of people sitting down with the Lord. Those who overcome the world, those who overcome by faith, will be, what I'm trying to say is this, that will be right next to the Lord. It's not like His presence is in heaven and that's great and you're really far off. And maybe every now and then, uh, if you get way up on a mountain, you might catch a glimpse of Christ. It's not that way. To depart and to be with Christ, we shall always be with the Lord. Right next to the Lord. Uh, the, second, the second blessing, uh, which isn't primary, but is nevertheless very true, is here in this verse, this word forever. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's one thing to be in the presence of God for a day. That would be enough, right? Didn't the psalmist say that? He said, one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Even just one day would be worth everything. But he says forever, every day, always, and unto the ages of the ages, eternity of eternity, to be with the Lord. Um, there's no way you cannot exhaust the glory of God. The Bible says that God is incomprehensible. You can't take him in. Um, it even says that in that verse I mentioned about the love of God. It, sur it, sur it surpasses everything you know, the height and the breadth. I mean, it's like he wants you to be filled up to all the fullness of God. Well, how full is God? God is infinite. And it'll take eternity, and even then you won't exhaust it, but throughout eternity to be discovering the glory of God, to be in the presence of Christ. It's eternal. Even, uh, I love the way it's pictured in um, the Chronicles of Narnia. Many of you know I quote this all the time. But in the, in the last book, in the last battle, when Aslan is calling them up the mountain, you remember what he says? He says, higher up and farther in. Higher up and farther in. They just keep going up the mountain. It's like there's no end to the mountain. And the farther up they go, the better it gets. And he just keeps calling them higher up. It's like in Revelation when the Lord says, come up here, come up here. 
And uh, you go to be with the Lord. There's no end to it. In Job, after describing the glory of God, in Job 26, it says these are but the fringes of His ways. The fringes of His ways. I mean, how, how good has the Lord been to you? You can read Psalm 23, and you can relate with all of this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you think about what He's done in your life in guiding you, in saving you, in working in you, and you just want to praise the Lord. God, you are so good. Do you know this is just the fringes of His ways? One thing that's so great about it in heaven is that it's eternal. It's eternity with God. David says in Psalm 139, and I never really got this before, but uh, I still don't know if I understand it, but it's a wonderful verse. He says, after describing the intimacy that he has with the Lord. And David, I think, is probably the best guy you can go to on this sort of thing. It's like he, he talks about being with God all the time. He was, he was so in love with the Lord. Uh, in spite of all of his sin, he was, he was a man after God's heart. And he says there in Psalm 139, I think it's verse 18, he says, when I awake, I'm still with you. It's like, think about that as a picture of heaven. It's like, you wake up, it's like day two in heaven, still with him. You wake up, it's like day 30,000. You're still with him. He doesn't say just that you're still with me. He says, I'm still with you. It's not like you get to be with the Lord one day out of the year in heaven. No, to always be with the Lord. To be at his right hand for eternity. Have you ever... um, Have you ever wanted a time of worship and praise to God and thanksgiving just to last forever? Have you guys ever experienced that where it's like you're singing to the Lord? Maybe you're with a group of believers. Maybe you're by yourself. And it's like the Lord is so near and you're just praising the Lord. And you feel like, I'm not going to be able to go to sleep tonight. Like, I'm just going to sing to the Lord all night long. And uh, you feel like, you know, I don't ever want this to end. I don't want to have to lower my hands. I don't want my arms to get tired. I don't want to have to stop singing. I don't want to, you know, uh, leave this, this sacred spot where the Lord is meeting with me. You realize what that is. That's the Holy Spirit at work in you, giving you a little down payment of heaven, a little glimpse, a little foretaste. And as blessed as all of that is, that's looking through a mirror darkly at the Lord. That's like looking at the moon. Because you can't look at the sun. It's too bright. So you look at the moon. You can gaze on the moon. And that's kind of what we're experiencing here on earth. It's like you see this pale reflection and it's beautiful. But that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. That's uh, the tip of the tip of the iceberg. And there will come a day when you won't have to stop worshiping the Lord. The presence of the Lord won't withdraw. You know, uh, you won't have, your arms won't get tired. How do, they, how do they fall down before the throne over and over and over? I mean, it's like, but to be in heaven is to be strengthened in the presence of God. is life itself. No hindrance to worship whatsoever. I know because I've talked to you that the greatest joys that you've had have been in the presence of the Lord. Those are your greatest joys here on earth. And I think David has some of that here in Psalm 23, what he's experienced, things like, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. 
Those were times when, as not talking about physical oil and a physical cup, David didn't care about that. What he cared about was the nearness of the Lord. There were times in David's life when God had come really close. And uh, that's true for believers too. But in heaven, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, it's eternal. It lasts for eternity. And think about this. Because God Himself is eternal, if you're united to Him, uh, nothing can separate you from God. You will most certainly always be with the Lord because God Himself is eternal and you've been joined to Him in Christ. And the Bible says that nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And it makes it clear. Nothing in this age and nothing in the age to come. There's nothing in heaven. There's nothing on the other side that will ever separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. It's eternal it lasts forever. It's the climax of every blessing. That's why, uh, that's why so many people make such a big deal out of Romans 8. is because he's talking about being glorified with Christ. And he says nothing can separate you from that. Nothing. And that's the greatest thing to hold on to. To have your, your mind renewed by, strengthened by, to have your hope fixed on heaven. So, beloved, I'm saying this. Uh, hold on to this truth. Dwell on this. Meditate on this. Think about the hope that's coming. I say that uh, because it makes everything worth it. Everything worth it. Yeah, no matter the cost, no matter the trials, no matter the suffering, no matter the rejection, no matter the persecution, intense persecution that we've heard about, um, it doesn't... They're not worth being compared with the glory that's to come. To be at home with the Lord, anything you have to go through, it, this makes it worth it. Whatever He calls you to walk in. You know, you cannot choose uh, your own suffering. You cannot choose uh, the cost that you'll have to pay. Dick was preaching on this. Me and some of the other brothers have talked about this before. But it's true. You, you don't know what cup the Lord has for you. Everybody has a cup. And he says, you will drink it, but you don't know and you can't choose that. But whatever it is to be with the Lord, uh, this makes it all worth it. Have, uh, he says here um, that salvation is closer now than when we first believed. It's close. Some of you guys have been believers for a long time, like 50 years. Um, Actually, I, I was thinking about that recently because I think uh, I know some of you have been believers that long. That's amazing. 50 years, wow. 50 years of walking with the Lord on earth. I don't know anything about that. But I know this, what the Bible says, it says to all believers that salvation is closer now than when we first believed. Even if you've only been a believer for two months, it's closer now than two months ago. And in, in light of eternity... What's the next 80 years? It's, I mean, it's coming real close. It's right around the corner. When every true child of God will be in heaven with Christ for all eternity. To be brought into His presence. To be conformed to the image of the Lord. Uh, I was talking to, to Brother James from Bangladesh on the phone the other day. I called him and this is what he said to me. He said, we had, were talking for a while and he said, Brother, he said, we're not trying to fix the world. 
He said, we're trying to make it to heaven. (laughs) I thought, yeah, that's right. We're trying to make it to heaven. Hold on to this truth, beloved. Um, one One of the most amazing things is that Jesus says, when you think about these things, your own heart can be stirred up to want to be with the Lord. But have you ever thought about the verse where Jesus says, uh, Father, I desire that they be with me where I am. It's like Jesus is waiting for that day just as much too. I mean, to think about how much he longs for his people to be with him. This is glorious. Let the down payment of the Spirit remind you of the inheritance that is to come. Let the work that God has already done in your life and promises to do in the future, and maybe for some of you, even things He's been doing today, this morning, take all of that as a token from the Lord of what's to come. When God is at work in the body of believers, in the fellowship, uh, when His Spirit is, is moving and helping and stirring and blessing, pouring out blessing, all that is is a little taste of heaven. You know, sometimes it's like we we think about revival and we want to pray for revival and we're stirred up like, oh man, we're telling stories about revival and you read biographies and books about revival. Do you realize all revival is, is when God in his presence comes near and it's just a little glimpse of what heaven will be like. I mean, don't long for revival more than you long for heaven. Rival is nothing in comparison to heaven. And here's the amazing thing. You know, whether or not you see revival in this life, you will be in the presence of the Lord in heaven. That's guaranteed. You cannot miss out on that. Now look, in every believer's life, there is the work of the Holy Spirit and there is the blessing that you know of, that you've experienced, that creates a hunger and an appetite for God. Uh, But sometimes revival goes by and... These other people experienced it, and you didn't have that same experience. But the truth is, for the child of God, every believer hears this. uh, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Every child of God is received into the blessing and the fullness of the presence of God, which makes revival look like nothing. I mean, it's like uh, if revival is like men who dream, and their mouths are filled with joyful shouting. What will that mean for heaven? I mean, it's like the hallelujahs don't stop. That's what you should long for. And that's what God has promised you. And that's for sure what you will not miss out on. You know, I thought it was great. I've heard uh, somebody point out before the verse in Ephesians where he says, in due time we'll reap if we don't grow weary. It's like, is that talking about people being converted or revival? I don't think so. I mean, in a sense, that's true. If you continue on sowing, uh, you'll reap. The Bible does say that. But you know what it says? We'll reap what? Eternal life. And that's guaranteed. That's a for sure thing. And so we can praise the Lord for this. I mean, I'm not trying to discourage any of you from seeking after God to bring revival, to come and revive His people. Some of you, maybe even the Lord has already told that you'll see it with your own eyes. But regardless of that, heaven is promised to us. Whether we have a long life, whether we have short, this is what we hunger for. This is all our hope. This is what we chase after. This is what we think about and dream about. 
and praise the Lord for not just what he's done for us in the past, but to be with him in the future. Look, there's a real sense in which the Bible says right now we are absent from the Lord. It's like we talk about being with the Lord because that's true. But you know, it says to be in the body here on earth is to be absent from the Lord. And he says, I prefer to be out of the body and to be present with the Lord, to be at home with the Lord. And that's coming. Any sorrow, any pain, any frustration or grief that you feel, all of that will be swallowed up. That which is mortal will be swallowed up by life in heaven, in the presence of Christ. I mean, I want to see him. And uh, I don't know, maybe touch the holes in his hands or just fall down at his feet. You realize that we'll actually get to be with Jesus Christ. They got to walk with him on earth. That is such a privilege. That is so great. But you know, every believer will get to be in the fullness of Christ's presence. So hold on to this truth. Uh, these things are for you. I want these things to encourage you. And I want, I want you to count this verse, the end of verse 6, as your greatest blessing. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But I want to say a word as well to the unbeliever. This is all true for the Christian. Uh, but it's not true for the unbeliever. And uh, I want to look again real closely at his words. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, he says, I. That's the first word. So consider yourself. Because David's talking about himself. Why are you here today? How did you get here? How did you end up here at Lake Road Chapel Sunday morning? Um, I know that God had a purpose in it for bringing you here to hear these words. And I also know what the Bible says, and you need to think about this. It says that he who receives whom I send, the one that I send receives me. And he who receives me receives the Father who sent me. So don't despise my words. Don't put me off. Uh, don't refuse him who's speaking. Why are you here today? If you're an unbeliever and you can hear these words and listen to the truth about heaven and being with Jesus Christ, the God of all the world for eternity, it's because God wants to speak to you about your own soul. He wants to speak to you about eternity. Consider your soul. How is it with you? Consider yourself. David here writes Psalm 23. It's a, a listing of all of his blessings. Okay, list out your blessings. What do you have? What do you have that you can sing about? What do you have that you can boast about without the Lord? Uh, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the, the strong man or the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. Do you have anything worth boasting in? Do you have any hope, any glory, any, anything in the future that you're longing for? That you're hungering for. Look, because what the world will do is the world will get you to trade away the greatest blessing that exists, a relationship with God, for trinkets, for fool's gold. And it shines and it glimmers, but it's not going to last, and it's not real, and it's, at, it's totally devoid of God. You know, one of the worst things about not knowing the Lord is not just that you commit sins, uh, breaking the laws of God, like specific sins like 
um, I was reading this morning about filthy speech, the one who has filthy speech. The Bible says his end, uh, I forget even how it said it, it was in the Proverbs, something like his end will be of death or something. It's like though filthy speech and anger and bitterness, that's not the worst part. You know what the worst part is? The world will get you to begin to live your life, your own flesh, your own sinful heart, will begin to live your life apart from God. You realize when the Bible says that men are ungodly, it's not just saying they do ungodly things. It means they're godless. It means they're apart from God. They don't acknowledge God. They don't think about it. They go throughout their day, didn't have a single thought about God. They go throughout their day, there's no thanks. There's no longing in the heart to see God, which is, which is the reason why you exist, to know the Lord. Consider your soul. Consider the blessings that you have. Are they worth hanging on to? They're not. Let those things go. Think about what David is saying. David is talking about real life. Having the Lord as your shepherd where you can say, I shall not want. I don't need anything. I've got the Lord. I can have a dry morsel. And that's fine. I've got the Lord. I can have a plate of vegetables. And that's fine. It's like you can be at peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. That's what he's talking about here. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters. The peace of God that comes from the blessing of God, that comes from being rightly related to God. Do you have that? Do you know that? Consider your soul. The second word that he says here is he says, will. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. David was sure about it. He knew. He didn't have any doubt. He had full assurance of faith. When I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. I'm going to be in his house forever. Can you say that? Are you sure? Sometimes, uh, even as an unbeliever, you'll begin to gain a false assurance. But you know what? The Lord, um, in his mercy may still be speaking to you saying, that's not real, and you know you don't have real hope. You may think you're going to heaven, and you may tell other people that, but you're troubled on the inside because God's Spirit is stirring in you to where you don't know what will happen when you die. You don't know if you will. Maybe I will be in the presence of the Lord. Maybe not. And my exhortation to you today is, don't settle for some half assurance, some hope of a hope shot in the dark. This is about your relationship with God. This is about eternity. I'm not, today I'm not going to stand up here and threaten with the fires of hell. I could do that. I've done that before. But what today is, is being invited to the wedding feast. Blessed are those that are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb, the wedding supper. This is the greatest blessing. Don't miss out on this. Don't have a half assurance of salvation. Don't settle for that. Make sure that you can say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Uh, it's like, think of the ark, right? With Noah and the ark. When the flood stopped, or when the rain stopped, the whole earth was flooded. What did he do? He opened a window, and that black raven flew out. It's like false assurance. Flies out there, never comes back. You might think, oh, everything's safe. What did he do next? He sends out this dove, and the dove comes back. As if to say, no, it's not safe. It's not safe yet. And then he sets it out again and the dove comes back this time with an olive branch, an olive leaf in its beak. And there's peace. It's like don't settle for some false assurance. 
Don't settle for something other than knowing where you stand with Christ. Um, One brother put it this way, and I thought this was good. The man that was blind, that Jesus healed, he touched his eyes, right? What was the first thing that he saw? He said, what do you see? And the man said, well, you know, I, I see, but I don't really see. It's like I see men, like trees walking around. I can sort of see. And the Lord touched his eyes a second time. He said, what do you see? And now he could see. He could see clearly. You know, one thing, you've got to give it to that man. At least he was being honest with the Lord. If the Lord has touched your life, but you still see men as trees walking, don't settle for that. Be honest with the Lord. Lord, I can, I can sort of see. I know, I know this is right. I know the Bible's true. I know it's real, but it's like there's not, I don't really see. And if God has shown you that, that is a mercy from God. And just ask Him, Lord, please touch my eyes in such a way that I really see that everything is clear. Don't settle for false assurance or for a half assurance. He says, the house of the Lord. Unbeliever, how can you come into the house of the Lord with all your sin? This is the house of the Lord. Yahweh. How holy is He? How much does He hate sin? Well, the Bible says He's holy, holy, holy. How can you go into His house if He's that holy? How could you ever have assurance? I mean, it's like you study Islam... Man, they, God is high and holy and transcendent, but I tell you what, they don't have any hope. There's no assurance in Islam whatsoever. It's like, maybe on that day, God will be lenient to me. That is not the Bible at all. That is a complete distortion that the devil wants you to believe so that you never enter into assurance and faith and and a bedrock in Christ. The house of the Lord. How can you get assurance if he's that holy? You know, I used to think it was real strange because when I would go to church with my mom as a kid, she would make me uh, dress up and wear nice clothes. And I thought, this is stupid. And my mom would always tell me the reason was, well, you know, we're going to the Lord's house. Like, okay. So the principle was, since you're going to the Lord's house, you got to wear good clothes and you got to be spick and span and, you know, no dirt on your face. Your hands are washed, your teeth are brushed, all of that. And um, you parents aren't really going to like this. I don't really think that's all that necessary, to be honest. But, but there is a principle there. Um, scrap all that, but keep the principle that, that it is true to come into the Lord's house, his real house, the real house of God that exists in heaven. How can you do that if you're stained with sin? How can a leper, how can a leper come into the presence of one that's totally clean and totally pure? Well, that's that's where the gospel comes in. How can you have assurance? How can you say I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Ah, uh, the verse doesn't answer. He just that's the end of the psalm. He's got it and you're like, "Man, I wish I knew what he knew." How did David get there? You know, David He did not live a sinless life. He was called a man after God's own heart, but he was a big sinner. David was. He's done things that I can guarantee nobody in this congregation has done. Can you ever think about that? I mean, uh, David, his hands were stained. So how can he say this? Well, if you go back up to verse 1, 
this is the giveaway. He says, and this is unbeliever. This is what I want you to think about. This is how you can come into the Lord's house. This is how you can be clean. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And that's really revealing. That tells a lot. What does it mean that the Lord is David's shepherd? Well, this is wonderful. Because Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. David could come into the house of the Lord with full assurance because he knew Jesus. Just like Abraham, he rejoiced to see his day and he saw it and was glad. There's a shepherd out there that goes after straying sheep. Not just sheep that accidentally get lost, but sheep that willfully rebel and walk away from the fold. Say, I don't want to be a part of this farm. I don't want to be a part of this uh, shepherd's flock. I'm out of here. And the Bible says that that's true of every man, woman, and child from birth. They go astray speaking lies. They go astray. Isaiah 53 says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. Now listen to this. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Jesus said that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's out to find lost sheep. And the sins that would make you dirty and defiled and like a leper in God's sights, they can all be washed away. Because the verse says, He caused God the Father, caused our iniquities to fall on Jesus Christ. So that when you go to stand before the Lord, if you've placed your faith in Christ, if you will turn to Christ, none of your sins will be required of you. You won't have to give an account for even one, even the most deepest, darkest secret that you would never let anybody know that you've done and that haunts you. All of that can be washed away. You can have total peace with God because Jesus Christ died on the cross under our sins. John the Baptist said he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That it doesn't matter if you've blasphemed God. Jesus said every blasphemy which men speak against me, it will be forgiven. I mean, it doesn't matter how directly in the face of God you have fought against him and spit in his face like they did to Jesus when he was on the earth. He was praying on the cross, Father, forgive them. For those men that had spit in his face, for those Jews that had delivered him over to death, that mocked him while he was dying, all of that, the most ugly, the most selfish sins can be forgiven because the Lord caused our iniquity to fall upon him. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd that lays his life down for the sheep. That which would destroy you, Jesus Christ, he stood in the way. That's what, it, that's what a good shepherd does when sheep come around. He's not a hireling. He's not out to get anything from you. He's out for your good. David knew this. The Lord is my shepherd. It's like when this danger comes, he steps in the way. And it doesn't matter if it's the wrath of God. He does that so that you might be saved. We are saved from the wrath of God through him, Romans 5 says. There, there shouldn't be, if you look to Christ, there should not be a single doubt in your mind that you're going to be accepted in the house of the Lord, that you'll dwell there. He has made, he's, I was reading it this morning, he accomplished salvation. 
He accomplished it. It's finished. It's a finished work. And you can have assurance you can know because of what He's done. I want to read one more verse um, to close with. It's Revelation 22, verse 17. This is this is the invitation. The invitation to come and be with the Lord. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. The Spirit says, Come. Do you sense the Spirit in your heart testifying with you that you need to come to the Lord? The Spirit does say that. I don't have any doubt about that. The Spirit, He stirs in men. He strives with men. He's testifying. You're listening to these things. You know what I'm saying is true. Don't put me off. He says, come. The Spirit, this is not man's invitation. I'm not inviting you to something that I made up. This is God inviting you to be reconciled to Him. The Holy Spirit is saying, come. The bride is saying, come. That's the church in heaven right now. You can't see it. You may not realize it, but the church in heaven uh, is saying, come to the unbelievers. Come. Let the one who hears say, come. That's us. The believers here in this congregation would call out to you saying, come. Come to the water. Come to the fountain. Be washed in the fountain. Believers here are not going to push you away. They're not going to say, uh, you're too sinful, or you're too old, or you're too young, or whatever. They don't. We want you to come to the Lord, because He drew us to Himself too. It's the greatest blessing in the world. It's what our life is about. That's our hope. Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. I cannot do anything for you if you're not thirsty. And the Bible doesn't even tell me to. But for those who are thirsty, you can come. Your thirst qualifies you to go to Christ. What do you need to be saved? You need nothing. But a desperate cry in your heart to be reconciled to the Lord, to be right with Him, to, to, to be joined with Him so that when you die, your life wasn't a waste. You, you found the Lord and you'll go to be with Him forever. Those many dwelling places in heaven, there's a lot of them. And Jesus said, uh, there's still room. There's still room at the table. Invite as many as you can find. The sad thing is, most people, they, uh, they push it off. I've got other things to do. They're not thirsty. But for those among the, uh, out in the highway, in the hedges, uh, they want to go to the feast. Are you thirsty? If you're thirsty, come. Let the one who's thir- who thirsts, the one who wishes, take the water of life without cost. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, we thank You for giving us revelation in Your Son, for sending down Your Son. Lord, we thank You for the hope that we have in Christ. We thank You, Lord, that in Your grace You've chosen to pour out uh, all all the treasures that are hid in Christ upon us. Lord, we were unworthy. Father, we we sense even our own inability to think of these things rightly, to see them, Lord. We hail them from afar. Father, I pray for Your people. Lord, please, that they would count it worth everything, Lord, those seven deaths lay between to make it to heaven. Lord, I pray for more of a down payment, more of an outpouring of Your Holy Spirit in our midst, even upon these churches that are here, Lord. Uh, here in the future, Father, would you pour out your Spirit in the midst of the body that we might hunger for heaven more. Lord, we thank you so much that you've not turned us away, that you own us as your children, that you've adopted us, you've brought us as close as we could possibly be. Father, we love you, we long for you. Lord, I ask you, please, Would you speak to the lost, Lord? Would you show them the glory of Christ? Would you show them, Lord, there's a shepherd? Would you show them there is a house of the Lord? Would you take away, Lord, all of the foolish things? Lord, please be stirring. Please be speaking and working. Give all of this to you, Lord. We have the utmost confidence in you to draw your sheep, to let them hear your voice. Please, Lord, we're waiting on you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.